Welcome back to the New York Pages podcast, a partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jake Berkowitz, and today we are going to be with Corey Snyder. I believe that's how he pronounces his name. Uh, he's a hockey data collector, and if some of you may know him from Twitter and all3zones.com. Uh, he does a lot of analytics stuff, and he's a Carolina Hurricanes fan. So we're going to bring him on to discuss the you know preview of the series. We're going to discuss you know the Carolina Hurricanes, what their perspective is of the series. Do the Rangers stand a chance? And why, you know, not only are they a better team, but why are they just specifically so successful against the Rangers? We're going to have that and more. And then also a Q&A podcast, a Q&A uh, questionnaire at the end. Uh, but first, a quick word from our show sponsor, and then we'll get right to it. And now a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines for the 27th year alive betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for a 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BETUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. And we are back with Cordy Snyder. Corey, how's it going? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. So we want to bring you on, of course, to discuss the Carolina Hurricanes versus Rangers series. And obviously people know you from Twitter and all three zones.com. And why don't you just, you know, take us along? Like, what, what do you expect out of this series? I know that's a very loaded question because we have a bit of time and we'll go into the details of it. But why don't we just start there? What are your uh, what's your perspective of the series? Uh, well, I'm wondering if it's going to be a little more open offensively for Carolina because um, their series against Boston was just a slog fest. There was not a lot of scoring, not a lot of room at five on five. The play was basically dead and home ice decided all the all games. And there really weren't a lot of like the final scores weren't really close in any of those games either. It was four two, five two. Granted, there were some empty netters thrown in, but I'm wondering if this game, I'm wondering if this series is going to be a little more, a little more open, especially for players like Aho and Svechnikov who didn't have a lot of room to work with in that against Boston. Just because of how they play, the Rangers play a little more open. They give up a lot more shots than Boston. They're a little more loose defensively, and. Judging by how that series against Pittsburgh went, we might be in for that. But it also might depend on how much Carolina wants to dictate the play, too, because uh, they weren't like they're such a heavy, they're such a big, heavy shot volume team. And we didn't see a lot of that in the Rangers series. So I wonder if they're going to get back to that against, I mean, well, in, in the Boston series. So I wonder if they're going to get back to that against the Rangers. Right. I just figure like every time the Rangers play Carolina, I know playoffs as a whole a uh, different animal but oh sorry my mic was very close um but yeah it just seems that every single one of the rangers weaknesses is a carolina hurricane strengths can you like address that for us why does it seem because they're not only the better team but it just seems like they're made to defeat the rangers it's funny you say that because for years like the opposite was true i think carolina went something like six seven eight years without winning a game at msg and the Rangers had their number for the longest time, really, until Brenda Moore came along. But I think uh, one of the big things is just how just how tight they are with their coverage and how quick they play. Because a lot of Carolina's game is based off winning races and playing with a lot of intensity. Where the Rangers, like 
the Rangers, especially their top line, they like to hang on to the puck a lot more, kind of look for a look for the perfect play. They like to cycle the puck a lot in the offensive zone. And they also, they used to like to play off the rush. Not so much this year. They're a little, they're a little more direct under Gallant, but like Carolina kind of, Carolina is very good at shutting those plays down. And one of the things they really excel at is reloads. So basically it's like, they'll have a very long shift in the offensive zone, usually from Jordan Stahl's line. And then they, the other team can't get a change in. So they kind of force it. They get a good rush. They get a good rush chance off a counterattack where the other, where like the Rangers only get a partial change in and that they usually capitalize on that. At least that's what happened in the season series. I think Ajo or Jarvis got a goal off one of those. Trocek got a goal off that too. And uh, the Rangers, the Rangers defense has improved a lot compared to what it was early in the season, but their breakouts are still pretty sloppy, especially from that bottom pair and from the Truba Miller pair. So I think that they can, I think that's something Carolina just does really well at exploiting because they score so much. They score a lot of goals off just broken plays and just failed exits that kind of happen in the blink of an eye. And the Rangers, they're still prone to those lapses, and that's something Carolina takes advantage of. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I'll cut that out. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't only like even strength. They seem to have all the, you know, strengths versus Rangers, just like the special teams, the Rangers, you know, one of their strengths is a penalty. Uh, I'm sorry, the power play. But the problem is the Carl Harkins are what in their PK first, second. Uh, during the regular season, they were first against Boston. They got blitzed a few times, but that that was also they also kind of did that to themselves too, just from taking too many penalties. Like one of them was a, one of them was a five on three where uh, Boston scored when Carolina got their Carolina got a player back on the ice, but it was another defenseman. So they were killing a penalty with like three defensemen and, but yeah, they were just killing way too many penalties against Boston and they weren't very, they weren't very disciplined, but Carolina's very, Carolina's very aggressive on their kill. They like pressuring, they like pressuring kind of the point of attack a lot. Like they don't really, they don't really sit and anticipate plays. They usually just go right out for whoever's quarterbacking it. Like in this case, Adam Fox, like, like um, Ajo and Taravina. They also kill a lot with their top players like Ajo and Taravina. And so there's a lot of speed and there's like threats of counterattacks coming at you too. So I think that's, that's something <clears throat> like, that's something that definitely hurt the Rangers in the regular season, but in the playoffs, it could be a different story because they had a very similar type of plan against Tampa last year. And they got a lot of shorthanded rushes against Tampa, but the problem is um, they're, they didn't get a puck out here. They didn't get a puck out here or there. And Tampa took advantage of that with broken plays reacting to the situation because there were guys up because there are guys open from failed clears. So I think, like if Carolina's execution is off just a little bit, the Rangers can definitely step on that because like, just because like Panarin and Zibanejad have done that to them before and Kreider, especially like if he gets loose in front of the net, he's going to score. Right. I mean, yeah, obviously playoffs are a different animal when it comes to the regular season. I mean, what Rangers swept Carolina in the season series and then look what happened in the playoff bubble. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, playoffs is just, it seems to be a different animal. There are some aspects that, translate from the regular season there are some that just you know 
they pretend they're not even there and just the total opposite happens in the playoffs. But what's a, from a Carolina fan perspective, what is, what are their thoughts going into this series? Um, I am, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic about it because I thought Boston, I mean, I, th- I thought Boston was going to be one of the toughest teams they were going to play basically like all, I thought that was like one of the toughest matchups they're going to have to face in the playoffs. Cause that's a team they've had trouble with forever. And Bergeron just always seems to get the better of Ajo every time they match up. The Rangers are a little different. I'm kind of curious how it, it's, it's an interesting matchup because, you know, like I think Boston's a better team than New York, but you preparing for them is a little different because they don't have a Bergeron type of line that Carolina can target when they're at home. Like they have two, like they have two lines instead with uh, Panarin on one line and Zibanejad out on the other, and they don't dominate play like the Bergeron line does. So it's something totally different. And it's something totally different that they got to prepare for. And like, in a way they're a little more dangerous just because they can counter better than Boston can. Like if they, like one of the things that hurt Boston the most is that they were getting rushes off they were getting rush chances off turnovers from Carolina and just sending the puck into skates or the boards or just flubbing on chances. Whereas like the Rangers, if they get a counter chance, they're going to, they're, they have a better chance of burning you with it, especially from that kid line. That's how the Penguins kind of coughed away that series. And I think Carol, I think Carolina has something a little different to prepare for with that. So I'm just interested to see how the series goes. Like I said earlier, I think it's going to be a lot more open than the one against Boston, which like five on five offense was very hard to find there. Whereas against New York, I think it's going to be a little more open. With Zibanejad and Panarin, uh, a key for me really is like people ask me like, is there any chance like the like the main consensus is is that um, the Rangers are going to probably lose the series as a Rangers perspective, like. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer for people there. I'm not giving up on this team. I hope this team has a chance to win. Uh, but for me personally, this was considered now a successful season. Uh, me going into the season really was to make the playoffs, but obviously it changed after that. Um, I, I think uh, the consensus, the, oh, I can't even speak anymore. Um, the, the main thought was, is that as long as they won a series and show they could compete, it's called a successful season. Anything else is cherry on top. Um, but I mean, if the Rangers have a chance to win the series, I think it starts with Mika Zibanejad because when he played that game seven and he showed he could, you know, shut down, win the faceoffs and score. I mean, it transformed this team immensely when your one C obviously plays like a one C. Um, what are your, what do you think about Mika Zibanejad and how he could impact this series? Well, with him, Carolina can't give him any gimme goals, if you know what I mean, because the way they've got burned by him in the past is by letting him get loose on a breakaway off a turnover or just leaving him alone around the net. And um, he's someone that he's very dangerous off one-timers, and Carolina doesn't really – Carolina plays a lot more man than Pittsburgh does. Like Pittsburgh, I saw, at least when I was watching that series – they sagged to the slot a lot. They collapsed a lot more and that left a lot of room for Zibanejad out high. And he got a goal in game six, I believe off a of one timer. I think Fox hit him. I and, think every um, one of his goals was one timer actually. Yeah. Like the one I'm thinking of, I think Fox hit him up high, like around the point, And there was like a million bodies for Deming to look, to look through. And 
and it was going to be a goal regardless. And Carolina, Carolina chases, Carolina likes to chase defensemen down a lot in the offensive zone. Like Jesper Foss is really good at doing that. Tara Vinen's really good at doing that. So I think they're going to be a lot more, they're going to be a lot more tight with not letting him get loose. And I mean, that line is kind of 50, 50 on how much they're going to drive play like, and how much they're going to create sustained pressure. So I think all Carolina really cares about is whether or not they give up a goal against them because he's, that's how they've gotten him and Kreider have like destroyed them in the past. Like even in games where like Carolina dominated Kreider's advantage had scored like the only goals and it was four one. But so- um, I think that, I think they just gotta, I really think they either just got to pin that line in or really just be cautious of breakaways. Like, especially like, especially like when, especially in tight games. Cause that's when, that's when the hurricanes have like the most, when they're the most prone to giving up rush chances the other way. So now that we discussed, you know, because of Bajad, let's flip it uh, to Carolina for a sec. Who do you need uh, especially to perform in order for them to, you know, knock out the Rangers? Well, Aho needs to be a lot better than he was in, in round one, especially at five on five. Like the only time he really got any space was, was shorthanded. His passing was very off, especially on the power play. And the wingers basically had to kind of carry them through that series. Like Sveshnikov and Jarvis were the ones who drove that line. And they really, they really only had one good game and it was game five. And everybody else, the other games, everybody, they had somebody else step up. Like Jordan Stahl had a really good series, but like if Jordan Stahl is your best forward, I don't think you're going to win a lot in the playoffs because he like his offense is what it is at this point. He's a great shutdown centerman, but he's going to get you like three, four, five goals in the playoff run total. Is but, Jordan, um, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to ask, is Jordan Stahl playing on the third line or the second line? Yeah, technically it's the third line, but it's also the line Brendan Moore sends out against the other team's top centermen if if he wants to do that. Like he did that against Bergeron because um, the Bruins don't have another line to real the Bruins don't have another line he was really worried about. So he can kind of just he can kind of lo- he can kind of just load up Jordan against him and let Aho and Trocheck go loose against everybody else. But um like it's the de facto third line, but it ends up playing like sometimes first line minutes on some nights really like that's the thing with Brindamore. He kind of just plays whoever's going. So how is like X Rangers doing is the whole thing with the Rangers is, Oh, X Rangers always score against us. They always do great against us. And you guys have <laughs> a crazy amount. You guys got Jesper Foss, Brady Shea, uh, Brendan Smith. I am forgetting a few Derek step on. Um, yeah. I, I don't know who else. Even I forget about Stefan. Right. Like, so, yeah, he's like a part time player, kind of. Oh, really? He's not even like a full time fourth line guy. Yeah, just because of the depth they have right now. But yeah, like the X Rangers, they've all done pretty. They've all done pretty well. Like the, we all, everybody really loves Jesper Faust here, just from how hard he works and how much of a pain he is to play against. Brady Shea had a surprisingly good season. Like when. When we got him, I didn't know if he was good at all. Like we gave, I was like, we gave up a first for a guy who honestly might not be good at all. He's got spotty stats. The Rangers give up a lot of goals and a lot of shots when he's on the ice. And his first year here, he was okay, but since then, he's really he's really turned it around this year. He's had a lot of. I think he's got a career high goals too. Like, uh, I, think, I think he has nine or ten this year, but he's a. 
he was surprisingly good this year. He's also kind of fun to watch because he's built like a strong safety and can skate like crazy. Right. I mean, yeah. for us personally, he was great his rookie season. I think he got 38 points. He was terrific defensively, offensively in the playoffs for us, for Sadua, um and versus Montreal. He turned it to a different level uh, with Brendan Smith, who you also have uh, as uh, as a defensive pair. But I mean, it seemed to be that when Livni Ruff came in, that completely destroyed him as well as Neil Pionk. Because, and then all of a sudden when they leave from him, Brady Shea, as you said, is doing great. And Neil Pionk's a 40-point uh, defenseman now. So it yeah. kind of seems to like those those stats. It kind of maybe, I don't know. I don't know analytics and yeah. stuff. That's not my department. But it just seemed to be that kind of would be a uh, a factor from Lindy Ruff. Have there been other defensemen under him that you've seen that pattern? Or um, I don't I don't know specifically, but with Shea, it took him a little bit to kind of figure out just to, for the team to kind of figure out what exactly he's good at. Like uh, he's, he's like an incredible, like physical defenseman. Like he's, he's one of the strongest players on the team, but he doesn't always like, he doesn't always like anticipate the play well enough. Like he gets burned a lot. He falls down randomly sometimes, but like if the play is like right in front of him and it's a simple read, like he'll shut it down. He's very good on the penalty kill, getting pucks out like that. And it took a while for the team to figure out what exactly to do with him because they weren't sure is he an offensive defenseman is he a puck mover can we use him on the power play and they kind of figure it out they could use him as a not a shutdown defenseman but like a defensive penalty killing guy who's going to clear the front of them clear the front of the net uh win the puck along the boards and just get the puck out of the zone and he's very good at that like he has a very simple job and he does it well right i i mean with Jesper Foss, for us also, uh, I know you guys were discussing, uh, what's it called? But Jesper Foss, I just wanted to go through all the X-Rangers. Uh, not all of them, but the only ones that impact. I mean, for us, he was just, I mean, Fitz, uh, if you know him from Twitter, he was a fanatic Jesper Foss fan, like fanatic. And yeah, I know he's a, I know he's like Jesper. He always retweets everything I say about Jesper Foss. It's really funny. I mean... Yeah, it's it was. I mean, he did everything for us. Like, you want him on the second line, second line. You want him on the fourth, fourth. You got it. You got a tough, uh, hardworking player that was good at what he did. Uh, is he the same way for you guys? Yeah, and like what he's very good at, especially is like defensive coverage. Like, like what I said earlier. Like sometimes he'll just chase a defenseman all the way out to the point and just get the puck out of the zone. He's very good at using his stick to get plays out. They didn't use him on the penalty kill until this year. And he's kind of started to take off since like in his first year, we didn't really uh, use him that they didn't really know what exactly to do with him just because they had Brock McGinn. They had Warren Fogle. They kind of had too many versions of the same player. And since those two left, they Foss has been able to kind of slide into that worker B type of role. Like sometimes he's with Ajo on the top line as a guy to like dig pucks out and create space do picks in the, in the neutral zone. And uh, and for this playoff run, he's been playing with Jordan Stahl, which is like the perfect place for him because that line is just going to do play very simple hockey. Just get the puck deep, work hard to get it back and keep playing the offensive zone. And he's very good at helping do that. You there? 
uh, did you drop out? Blue? I'm sorry. I'm recording in my car and it's like oh, 100 okay. degrees in here. Uh, I'll cut it out. I'm sorry about that. Um, so what do you think about also um, who's going to defend them because of Banjo line and like, where's Jordan Stahl going to play in all this? You mentioned he's the technically the third, uh, but he goes against the top players. Do you think you see him going against Sebastian or do you see him going against Panarin? I think they might play that by ear a little bit, just depending on which line is like, which line is killing who just because, uh, just because like uh, the Rangers, I feel like they have kind of a one, a one B setup, even though, Pan- even though Kreider's got 50 goals and I think Panarin had a hundred points this year, but having, <clears throat> having them play on two different lines makes it a little tougher for Carolina to target one, but if Aho plays like to his normal level, I don't think it's going to be as much of a problem because Brendan Moore wants Aho to play the tougher matchups. Like on the road, he didn't shy away from throwing out Aho against Bergeron. And like, it didn't work, but he wants to do that. Like he wants Aho to rise to that challenge and play to that level. And I think, so I think he's going to be a little more lax with the matchups, but if like Crater has five goals in three games, we might see him switch Jordan Stahl to that line and put Shea and Brady Shea and Brett Pesci out against him. Just, and, uh, right. Yeah. No. Cause I figured that with Aho, you know, you mean you got to put your one out there eventually, you know, like you yeah. got to eventually put him out against the top lines. Uh, it's going to happen eventually, even with Jordan Stahl there. Um, one X Ranger I didn't mention, and I cannot believe I forgot him. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, how is he doing for you guys? Yeah, he's had a great season offensively, and um, he's been on the top pair with Slavin ever since like November or so. And um, that made him when they they actually were using them as a uh, as like the top defense pair and the shutdown pair for a while, but they were giving up a lot of goals just from just because like D'Angelo isn't really as defensively sta- defensively sound as Dougie Hamilton or Ethan bear. So they had to make a switch mid season to kind of put Shea and Pesci out against the toughs and Slavin and D'Angelo play a lot in the offensive zone. And they've done a really good job of kind of playing to D'Angelo's strengths because he's not a, he's, the thing with the thing with him is like from the blue line down, he's very he like he's very good at reading the play. His passing is always really good in the offensive zone. He treats everything like a power play down there. But if he's got to deal with pressure, it's always a problem. Like he's not very like he is very prone to turnovers. Like if there's a four checker in his face, so Slavin has to do a lot of the puck handling on that pair. And um, D'Angelo will usually usually kind of go in front of the net to kind of read and to just kind of pick off any loose pucks and read any, just to kill any plays there, just to make his job a little more simple. And it's worked so far, but I'm kind of wondering when it's not going to work just because Slavin is your best defensive defenseman and Shea and Pesci have done a really good job of holding the fort down on that second shutdown pair. But at some point, I think I'd rather have Slavin and Pesci play together, like just to have your two shutdown guys together. But so far, I mean, so far the uh, the way they're deploying it, the way they're deploying the the defense has worked out, and D'Angelo hasn't really been a he hasn't been a headache yet, if you know what I mean. He had one really bad he had one just really bad stupid moment against Marshawn in Game Four. Yeah, and he he could have made that could have turned into something really bad, like like that could have turned into something really bad, like with what it, like with what happened with, with uh, New York, but. 
he had a really good game five. He responded. And honestly, he took a lot of focus off guys who were playing a lot worse than him from his little, uh, his little tantrum. So that, that worked out and he kept it all. He kept it out of the locker room as far as we know. So that's like the most we can hope for, even if like, that's the most we can hope for. Yeah. I mean, based on what he did in New York, like the matter of fact, they're getting that it's pretty lucky. Uh, he actually, it's funny because we actually had the guy on here a couple of weeks ago, like a couple of months ago. Actually, he actually uh, challenged a fan to a fight at a Madison Square Garden on Twitter. I don't know if you heard about yeah. that in Mortal Lou, um, which was pretty crazy. And it got to the point where uh, when Lou went to MSG one game, they flagged him down and said, did you have an altercation with this and this player, et cetera? So it's pretty crazy. The matter of fact is that, you know, you haven't had any episodes with him down there is pretty lucky. Um, from a Carolina Hurricanes fan perspective, is there anything you're afraid of regarding the Rangers, the series, a player, the style, um, a line? What is, is there any concern to a specific thing? Just Sturkin. It really is. It's going to start and end with him, honestly, because the story of Carolina, like in their recent history against the Rangers is they've been goalied so many times, whether it's Lundquist, Georgia have had like a 50 save game against them this year. And like Shesterkin was the best, and like Shesterkin's the best goalie in the league right now. And if he can, he can easily like steal a series. I know he didn't, he didn't have a great series against Pittsburgh and it's his first time in the playoffs and all that, but still like, that's going to be, that's obviously going to be the X factor. And that's probably what I'm the most concerned with, like as a Hurricanes fan. And Kreider's had a really, Kreider's had a lot of success against him in the past too, but like, there's always a guy on every team that you got to like worry about like Shesterkin though, he can steal a series. So obviously, um, you know, I'm not the most, again, I'm not the most analytic guy or any of that, but um, the shots on, I feel like Carolina's speed and, you know, shots on goal are the like two key factors of why, you know, they're so, you know, there's such a nightmare for the New York Rangers this season. And I don't know, what, what are your thoughts about that? What, what you know, philosophy does uh, – oh, my gosh, I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, Ron Francis. Yeah, Brindamore. Yeah, Ron Brindamore. Uh, have – you know, what's his philosophy on that? Um, well, he really – I don't – Brindamore is an interesting coach because he doesn't make a ton of, like, in-game adjustments, and he's not a big X's and O's coach as far as we know, and he's more just getting the guy – getting the guys motivated to play and getting them just making sure they're all ready to compete and all that. And that's really what, that's really what like their calling card has been like ever since he's been here, they always, they play at a very high intensity. They play with a lot of pace, a lot of speed, but they're not really they're When they started winning, they started dumping the puck in a lot more and became such a heavy chip and chase team. And it, not even chip and chase. It's like uh, some people call it car crash hockey because it's a lot of races for pucks, a lot of broken plays, a lot of just really sloppy hockey. And that's what they do well, especially at the start of games. But also that opens up plays for the Ajos and the Trocheks on the team. And uh, it's like I mentioned earlier with the with like reloading, like what they like what they do a lot of is just kind of what they do a lot of is force a lot of bad exits 
from the other. They force a lot of bad exits, retrieve the puck over and over again, and eventually they get a counter. They get a counter attack, and uh, that's how they burned Boston a couple of times. Especially, I think it. I think they got him. I think they got a goal off that in almost every game. Um, well, with the counter attack. Yeah, but from where Boston couldn't get a line change in, and it's just from a reload, like from a reload, like a forward, like a lot of times a forward who's about to leave the ice will kind of just stay on for a second or two longer just to keep a puck in. So a guy coming off the ice fresh can enter the zone with control and then they get a, they get a two on one, they get a guy cutting to the net with then with nobody around him. And that's just what they're, that's what they're really good at. But their big thing is that they just play with a lot of intensity, but they do, their games do get really ugly just from how much, how much of it is based off winning races. And if there's a play there, they're not going to force it. They're just going to chip it off the wall, fight for another day, or just dump the puck into the zone and forecheck, even if not, if nothing's open. So that's something, that's something the Rangers, like, I thought the Rangers, they handled that a lot better in the the last two games that, uh, that they played against them in April. Cause that's when they had cop. And I, I don't think Tyler Mott played in those games, but Andrew cops, the guy who, kind of gives them a lot more depth on the wings. He's somebody that can handle the pressure a lot more to kind of chip pucks out so that Carolina can't recover them. So the Rangers can get a change in and be set and kind of be set in their formation so they can defend the next rush coming. And uh, I thought Keandre Miller had a really good two games against them too. And he's somebody that's could... terrific. Yeah. He's been second half of the season. He's been absolutely terrific. Yeah. And he, if he plays as well as he did in those two games, I think he can probably probably tilt the series to be a little more even than it is on paper. So the Carolina Hurricanes obviously are known for their offense. What can you tell us about their defense? I know Slavin, everyone knows, is, you know, one of the best defensemen, defensive defensemen in the league. What can you tell about the rest of their defensive structure as well as the forwards, what they play into this? Like a big thing with them is just how little time they have to defend. Like um, in the games against Boston, they were – when they were winning those games, a lot of it was spent in the neutral and offensive zone, just kind of keeping the puck around the boards and just retrieving the puck over and over again. So the defense, there wasn't a lot of pressure on, on the defensemen. They're very, they're very aggressive with how they defend the zone and with how they defend the neutral zone. They're very aggressive. Sometimes they'll have two guys at the blue line. They're very, very disciplined in their structure, but also they're very good at just reading like, um, guys like Ian Cole, Brett Pesci, they're very good at kind of anticipating where the play is going. And if they know they're going to get beat to the outside, they're very good at sagging to the middle and kind of just getting a stick on the puck to force a bad shot or a loose puck just so a forward can come get it. And that's the other thing. The forwards are very good at backtracking or backchecking to uh, just, just create as little space as possible for teams that attack with a lot of speed. And, uh, that was something that was an area where the Rangers kind of got to them before just because Kreider and Zabanajad uh, create a lot of those breakaways. But um, like in most circumstances, like there's the speed that they like the speed that they back check with really works in their favor and their defensemen. They're just very good with their sticks too to kind of force uh, just forcing bad entries, bad plays, not empty calorie plays from other teams. So I'm interested to see how Gallant kind of, how Gallant like reacts to it, like in after a bad game or two, 
just because I know he's a lot more prone to kind of jumble his lines than Brenda Moore is. Really? Because, like, for us, like, in the Pittsburgh series, like, he was pretty uh, stubborn in that regard. Um, he never changed the lines. The only time yeah. he changed the line was when he was desperate uh, in game. I remember it was in game seven. They were losing three to two, and they changed the line, and they switched it to Cop, Sabanajad, and Lafreniere, and Lafreniere, excuse me. And, you know, Zibanejad scored right there and then. But it seemed to be that, you know, as stubborn as Golan is, you, you're telling me Ron Francis, uh, not Ron Francis, oh, my God. Ron Brindamore uh, is much more stubborn in that regard. Well, this series has been, sometimes he's, sometimes he'll switch the lines like he has in the past in the playoffs. But this year he hasn't really, he has, he made no changes to the Ajo line, even after they got dominated. The only change he did make was putting, he put Max Domi on Vince Tro- Vincent Trotek's line in place of Marty Natchez and, and, end up, and ended up working out. Domi had three points in game seven and he was a good fit on that line. So like the switch worked, but he was, he was staying the course like throughout that series, regardless of the outcome. And he didn't really switch his lines or anything like that. He just kind of played whoever was going. And I think he, well, it was a tough series to read though, because they were, like at five on five, they were not getting killed in any game except game six. And throughout that, he was just kind of like, okay, we're playing well. We got to just stay the course, stick with it. And eventually it's going to pay off. And well, and it did in game seven, but still like, I thought there was going to be a little more switching going on than just uh, putting, just moving a fourth liner to the second line. Yeah, no, it was funny because while Gallant was one of the most stubborn coaches in that regard, Mike Sullivan would switch it on a dime it was just, it was kind of comedic to watch as go on, like we're wondering what's going on here. Why are we losing? And it's like, well, we don't adjust our lines and Mike Sullivan is adjusting it to every exact thing, um, you know, so we could get to the advantage. And it was funny because when go had the last line change and Mike Sullivan, you know, brought in the fourth line, go like, now nah, just bring in the fourth line too. And it was the same thing regarding the third and the first and the second it was just funny. It just seemed like, well, you know, go on, you know, come on, you know, you got it right there. It's there for the taking. I was like, yeah, I'll just bring out my fourth line. He overuses it from time to time. Uh, although with Tyler Mott back, I feel like that'll be easier uh, to, you know, swallow that one. Uh, with Carolina Hurricanes fans, what was the goal coming in? Was it the Stanley Cup or bust or was it, you know, make the finals? Uh, I don't know, but the team is obviously Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup or bust because uh, Trocek and Niederreiter are up after this year. And like D'Angelo is only here for one year and he's got like 40 something points. So they're, I don't know if they're going to keep him, but they have to do some, they have to do some not major roster reconstructuring, but they're going to have to fill some holes after this year. So not getting a cup would be disappointing, but not getting past the second round would be definitely disappointing because two years in a row, they've been, well, I think, yeah, just two years in a row now they've gone to the second round and they did not get any further. Tampa beat them in five. Boston beat them in five. Boston swept them in the conference finals the year before. So they, I think they want a deep playoff. They want a deeper playoff run this year. Mm-hmm. Obviously. And, yeah. No, I hear that with, you know, obviously you want to eventually, you know, it's either cup or bust, you know, after a few times. Uh, it's just, you know, cup or bust. You know, we've made the second round a few times, made the conference finals. Um, 
Yeah, it was a heck of a turnaround from I remember when I was younger, Carolina was just like this joke of a team that was just, you know, they put out whoever they had. But now they're like one of the best in the NHL. It's, it's crazy turnarounds. Um, is there any update with Freddie's injury, Fred, Frederick Anderson? Just that he was skating. That's really all we know. And as far as I know, I think it's going to be Auntie Ranta to start the series, which the Canes are fine with. They have all the confidence in the world in him. But I think if if Anderson is anywhere close to healthy, I, th- I think he's going to play. He was their workhorse during the season. He was their guy. And they're going to definitely start him if he's available. But I think Ranta is going to get the ball to start. And Ronta was quietly very good in that Boston series. Like Boston had an early push and all the, all the uh, home games and Ronta kept the score, nothing, nothing for as long as he could and gave them a chance to kind of get a stranglehold on the series. Alrighty. And uh, final question before we get out of here, um, who do you have? I'm assuming Carolina, but who do you have and uh, how many games? I think it's going to be Carolina in five. And the reason I say that is if it goes beyond five, I think they're going to have problems because I look at what happened in that Pittsburgh series. Pittsburgh gave the Rangers some life and they took it. And if Carolina does that, they're going to lose the series. All righty, Corey, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully we could have you on again sometime. Um, and yeah, we'll see how this series plays out. Yeah. Best of luck to you. <laughs> Okay, and we're back. Uh, thank you, Corey, for coming on. Uh, we're going to do our Q&A mailbag now. If you want your questions answered, all you have to do is uh, once we post our Q&A mailbag post on our Twitter page, all you have to do is you know post your question in there, and that's pretty much it, and we'll answer it in the next podcast. So the first question from Brian is, if our top guys show up against Carolina, do you think we can win the series personally? I think so. So I think... Zabajet is the key to keeping this series a series. If he plays the way he did versus Pittsburgh in game seven, he was winning faceoffs, playing well defensively, scored clutch goal. Uh, I think he's the key to this series, you know, being more than just um, all Carolina. I think he's the key to that. Uh, next question from Moist Bread. Do you think that OT goal was what Bread needed to, in order to be much more like Zabajet in game six? If so, do you think we have a chance to actually beat Carolina with Ranta and net? So Ranta actually doesn't give me confidence. Um, the Rangers, I, I mean, listen, we played versus a third string backup goalie, Dominion, and we made him look very good. Obviously, he had a few blunders, um, especially Kreider game six over, uh, goal. But, I mean, I hear you saying with Panarin. So Panarin, if he this gets him going, yes, I see it being much more of a series. Again, I, we just spoke with Corey here. It's, I, I'm, I'm never going to say my team's out. Never. Um, but I'm not going to say Rangers have a great chance of winning the series. If they will, Panarin has to be at the head of it with Zibanejad. Um, I definitely agree with you there that um, it, it could definitely lift his spirits up like Zibanejad did in game six. And, you know, that it, it could definitely chop spring him and it definitely, you know, could get him going in this next series. Uh, question from Nick, realistic thoughts. I'm sorry. I have a hundred degree cars. So you guys give me a bit of slack here. Uh, realistic thoughts on if you think the Rangers can beat the Canes. Um, if they do, it's going to seven. I mean, that's no question about it. Uh, it's got to be like seven games. Uh, we mentioned with Corey before in this podcast that if Carolina gives them a bit of life, 
that's when it gets dangerous for Carolina, and that's when the Rangers could pounce on them. Uh, the next one from Eagle View. Do you think Kako disallowed goal and then losing the grueling third OT winner in home game one hurt us mentally? Um, no, because we got over it. You know, we won the series in the end. So I think everyone is now over that since we won the series. But I, I get what you're saying with Kako. Um, and then you also asked, we almost need the perfect storm of Crosby, Lindgren injury return through the pain and rapid fire through game five to get us back over it. So I hear what you're saying uh, in regards to, you know, we needed a lot of things to go our way for game five in order to gain that life back. Um, but I feel like, you know, the Kako go, I feel like people are over it now because uh, we won the series. And yeah, like you said, there were a lot of things that went our way. But once again, if Carolina does anything like that, uh, if they give us any life, I feel like that's when the Rangers, you could say, have a chance to win. Uh, Brian, hashtag MS Awareness. Uh, said, who in the bottom six are you looking forward making a biggest impact in the round two? So I Tyler Mott immediately comes to mind. Um, I, I mean, I, it's funny because someone posted under that, like, of course, he's going to side Tyler Mott. Um, I mean, you got to. Who, who he's, I, I'm not going to say he's Jesper Faz 2.0, but, man, is he amazing to have in the bottom six. Um, Neil Grover te- um, said, with the emergence of the kid line, does this solve our second line problem for next year? Move bread up to the first line, kid second, then use strong money to boost the third and fourth line. That's really not a bad idea. The only concern I have with it is Philip Heedle. I feel like he is a third line guy, plain and simple, nothing more. Um, don't get me wrong. He's playing f- fantastic in this series, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's more than a third line player. Um Another Brian asked, given the Canes are a faster team than the Pens, do you argue Hunt over Reeves on the fourth line? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hunt should be in there, not Reeves. The only time is, let's say, after game one, if you see it's really, really dirty, then you put Reeves in there. But other than that, yeah, I'm in full agreement. Uh, besides uh, go, this was from Gravy94. Besides go, where do you think the Rangers may hold the edge over the Canes? Um... I'm not sure because they're faster than us. Then the, I think the key is, is that while Aho and Shrechnikov are very skilled players, we have the elite of the elite. Uh, we have Fox, we have Panarin, we have the, you know, the 50 goal scorer, Chris Kreider. And if Mika Zibanejad plays the way he's, you know, he did in game seven, um, I, I feel like we can surprise, you know, a lot of people in this series. Again, a lot has to go right. That's why I'm kind of being, you know, a bit, uh, you know, a bit negative about it, but yeah, if we, if we, if all that goes right, we could definitely, you know, have a chance in this series. Um, let's see if there's any other questions here. Uh, design, last question, design. When the team had a line of Lav, Zabanjad, and Cop for the tying goal, it was very tempting to see what new options for lines the team can throw. What would be your most ideal blender lineup for the forwards? The blender lineup. That's a very interesting question. Um, I'd like to see Loff and Kako with Cop, maybe, not Hedl. That's maybe, or maybe Loff, Hedl, and Cop uh, as a line, like, for a few times. I'm interested to see if one of those kids' line. I know it's not great to take out the kid line, which was, you know, arguably your best line the whole series. But I'd, I'm interested in Loff to see what happens when he plays with one of those guys that could really get to the front of the net and be smart with it. Kako's not there yet. He's getting there. He is definitely getting there, but he's not there yet. Um, 
I liked the cop laugh uh Zabanaj line because you had laugh who was, you know, emerging. You had cop who was a great, you know, who was a great pickup. And then you had Zabanajad who, you know, was red hot. And that was a great combo. I, I'd be interested to see if, you know, they do that again. Um honestly, I actually want this is not offense. This is uh defensively. I want them to try Miller Fox. I really have been, you know, hammering at this for months now. I really believe they should try it out and then have Lindgren with Truba. It with Miller and Truba, both their weaknesses, well, not Miller anymore. Um, it used to be both their weaknesses was is on the transition. Uh, when they were defending a three on two or they were trying to get it out of zone, that was their one weakness. Miller has definitely above and beyond fixed that. But Truba still, you know, has his moments. So it'd be interesting to see Lindgren, who's very, you know, very good defensively regarding that. Uh, now my voice is breaking now. But uh, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see if they try those defensive combos. So we're going to end it off here, guys. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to have a podcast right after game two. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time.